0: I'm turning this morning to Psalm 63, Psalm 63. I'm going to continue our exposition of this psalm that we began last week and broke this up into two different Sundays. Psalm 63, and just to remind us where we are and where we're going this morning, I'm going to read the entire psalm again. It's just 11 verses. Last week, we considered the subject of a thirsting soul. And the subject for this morning will be the shadow of thy wings. The shadow of thy wings. Beginning there in verse 1 of Psalm 63. And this again is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live, I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. We see there, again, that expression, the shadow of thy wings. Because thou hast been my help, therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Last week, we established the fact that when we read through the Psalms, it is often difficult to determine... Whether David is speaking or whether it is Christ speaking. When we deal with the Psalms, we need to understand that Christ is in the Psalms. And there are moments when David as a type of Christ is speaking for Christ in a sense. We learned, and even as we read this morning in Psalm 16, the verse number 10 said, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Of course, the Holy One in Psalm 16 is a reference to Jesus Christ and how He as the Holy One would not see corruption. Oftentimes, because we have a struggle in seeing where David is speaking as an event is unfolding in his own life or where Christ is actually being declared, this is one of those examples when we deal with the shadow of thy wings. But again, as we saw in Psalm 16, even as we read for our call to worship this morning, we are very sure that this is a clear reference to Christ because no one but Christ could that be said about because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Every other body will see corruption. Um, Jesus' birth was not according to normal generation. Yes, he was born of a virgin, but in addition, his human nature was also perfect. It was unstained by evil, it was unstained by sin. That type of body belongs to no one but Christ. Even in His humanity, He was sinless and perfect. So the reference to will not see corruption is the reality that He has not experienced or would He experience the same type of corruption that you and I will face because of sin. So as in Psalm 16, verse number 10, those words can only be applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet we have no problem today as believers taking the concept or the thought, the principle to ourselves, remembering that Jesus said in John 14, 9, 19, Because I live, ye shall live also. This gives us hope today that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we also have hope that we are also going to live again. The truth is we're going to live forever. These earthly tabernacles will, one day, they will cease to be. They will stop working. They will take our bodies and they will be put into the ground and they will see corruption. But we will live forever. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of his coming again. But we also know that Jesus himself, when he was praying for his own in John 17, 24, said, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Jesus was talking about something future. He was talking about after the resurrection where his people would be with him where he is. This is proof. These verses are proof that we also will tread this path of life. We are going to live a life. We are going to live for however many years God has sovereignly given to us and we are going to live and our life is going to come to an end. But we have the promise of something. We have the promise of him as our help. We have the promise of him as he is the one that will ultimately be exalted. So there are times when only Christ can be the subject of the verse. Now back in our text in Psalm 63, I want you to look with me again and notice the words that David uses in the second half of this psalm. We looked last week how that David gave these expressions of, My soul thirst for thee, my lips shall praise thee, my soul shall be satisfied, my mouth Shall praise thee? David was demonstrating all of these things that he uh, was seeking after. As a thirsty man, he wanted Christ and the communion and the fellowship with Christ more than anything. And I made the connection last week how that Christ longed for their fellowship again with His Father. When Jesus Christ rose from that grave on the third day, one of the most glorious realities is upon His ascension... He returned back to the right hand of the Father. It's interesting that David uses the terminology in verse 8 of Psalm 63, My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. One of the things we fail to understand is that Jesus in his humanity, he needed and wanted and desired the help of his Father. Again, this doesn't make him less God, but he desired the help. The humanity of Christ, remember, in His deity was in union with His body. It was supported. It was to be carried on through the entire performance of the work He did as our mediator in His humanity. Christ received help. He acknowledges He received help. He prayed unto His Father. What did it give Christ when He knew that He had the Father's help? It gave Him strength of mind. What helps us this morning to know that we have the Father's help is it ought to strengthen our minds today that we have the help of God. You are not without help in this world. But it also, when our mind is strengthened, when our faith is strengthened, it gives life to our faith. Our faith has real life. What a kind of an effect does it have to have the help of God? It helps us to know what God will do. It helps us to remind us what God has done. It helps us to know how God has acted in the past and how God will act in the future. David, writing this psalm, says, Because thou hast been my help, David knew what it was to have the help of God. But David is a type of Christ. Christ also knew in his his humanity what it was to have the help of the Father. This expression, the shadow of thy wings, will I rejoice, should not be quickly overlooked and it should not just be assumed that it's about David alone. Because here's what we do know is when we think about the wings and the the Bible will, will demonstrate this out, the Bible demonstrates or illustrates it's representative of wings, of course, but the cherubim. The, the 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 representative of God. Uh, we think about the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant there was the wings of the cherubs. Those wings stretched out. They formed what we would refer to as a cover. The, it, it, it arched over the mercy seat. These, these wings are not just a reference to a bird, they're a reference to actually the very ark of the covenant the wings over the mercy seat of God, over the Ark of the Covenant, it it assured security, It, it assured protection. But it was also a declaration of an everlasting eternal covenant made between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three in one. Christ in His humanity, but yet God. Christ, the surety and the mediator of the covenant. He knew all of this. The shadow of thy wings is not just a simple expression. It is an expression that David, of course, knew what it was to have the help of God. But again, we cannot ignore David as a type of Christ. This everlasting covenant is vitally important. David was aware of God's help. Christ was aware of the Father's help. He expresses it again because thou hast been my help. In the shadow of thy wings I will rejoice. Everything that Christ declared as he knew his father would be faithful to the covenant that was made between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. David knew the covenant of God. When we talk about God and we talk about his faithfulness and we talk about his help, we're not talking about something that's random. We're talking about... Part of this covenant. Folks, this is our help. This is our hope to know that there is a covenant that was made before the foundation of the world. That God the Father will be our help. And he gave us our greatest help by sending Jesus Christ. It's in this knowledge that we rejoice. Why do I rejoice in a resurrected Savior today? It's because of the knowledge I have of God. It's in the the recognition to know that because Jesus Christ has risen and because I am in Christ, because of His righteousness, that one day I am also a part of that resurrection. I am a part of being raised from the dead. And what a glorious truth that is. Without a knowledge of God, the resurrection is nothing more than a historical fact. David was writing with knowledge. Christ, in His humanity was walking this earth in knowledge of the Father, in knowledge of the covenant. Verse 8 shows us again, my soul followeth hard after thee. Again, we determined last week from our first part of this, this psalm that David, of course, was on the run from most likely his son Absalom. Absalom wanted to kill him. And David, although he was thirsting, although he was hungered in the wilderness, he said, what I want more than anything is I want communion with God. There is nothing that Christ wanted more than to accomplish the Father's will. It is, it is a sad state of heresy when we begin to hear teaching that Jesus Christ really just went along with God the Father's will, but he didn't really want to do it we're appalled at that thought we're appalled at the reality how could someone actually believe that jesus christ and somehow in his humanity uh, was just going along with god the father but he really wasn't accepting of it that's a modern day play on what jesus christ's humanity was but christ in his humanity was desiring more than anything else to accomplish his father's will he became obedient in all things not just some things All things. We understand that David was not always perfectly obedient. We know today we will not always be perfectly obedient. Our resurrection with Christ is not based upon our perfect obedience. It's based upon the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I'm thankful for that today. Because it was based upon my obedience, my perfect obedience. I have failed miserably. Today, people on Resurrection Sunday or whatever they want to refer to it Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, come to church most likely with the idea of give me something hopeful. Especially over the last year, we say give us something hopeful. Give us something to have our hope in. Our greatest hope is found in Jesus Christ and our knowledge of Him. Not just an intellectual acceptance of that there was a Jesus, but actually what He was doing. He acknowledges his own faithfulness. But Christ himself says, Thy right hand upholdeth me. He knew what it was to be upheld with the right hand of the Father. Our most zealous desire, our most deepest expressions of our faith in Christ ought to lead us to this unquenchable, incessant worship of God. And not in a superficial way. Not in a way that can be mimicked and can be programmed. But it's simply from a knowledge that God has been my help. I would simply ask you the question today as a a fellow brother or sister in Christ, has God been your help? Has His right hand upheld you? His right hand is upholding you today. He's helping you at this very moment. You are not even breathing on your own today. You are only breathing by the upholding hand of God. Christ himself understood, and David understood in his own way, David would declare often, my faith is immutable. My faith never changes. I am always going to be faithful to God. And we know that David would fall by some of his own statements because he would have times of failure. But he also knew that God will continue to be my help. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ knew exactly what was going to happen. And we begin to see portions of this. Look what he says in verse number 9. David understood what it was to be sought out. But notice it says, But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Uh, We understand here that David, his life was in danger. David faced javelins that were thrown at him by Saul. He faced attempts to kill him by his own son, Absalom. He knew what it was to have his life desired to be cut short. When Jesus Christ and his humanity, when it became very apparent that Jesus Christ was claiming to be God, the Jews became incensed with his proclamation As a matter of fact, why Jesus goes to the cross is because he's convicted of blasphemy. Blasphemy because he equates himself with God. He says things like, I and my Father are one. It wasn't that Jesus Christ was going around doing miracles, they put him on the cross. What put him on the cross was that he declared himself to be God, he declared a truth. He declared what was to be. Even in his humanity, he was still God. But yet it was his humanity that was required to go upon that cross and pay the penalty for the representatives that he was dying for. Which is us. Sinners. In need of a savior. But they sought to take the life of Christ Their goal was to destroy him, not to just harm him, not to just derail him, but to literally take his life away. That's what they wanted. So can you imagine on crucifixion day, Satan and all of the unbelieving Jews and all of the unbelieving Gentiles, whoever became part of that mob must have thought we've accomplished our goal. We took his life away. And yet, by taking his life away, they fulfilled the greatest prophecy of all of human history. All in the foreordination and foreknowledge of God, they carried out God's will. What a glorious truth that is. You think you're taking his life. No, you're actually fulfilling the will of the Father and you are fulfilling the everlasting covenant. Nevertheless, They were aiming at taking his life, and they gained it. They gained it from the human perspective. Their entire plan had appeared to finally go off. There were other times in history they tried to take Jesus, and he either disappeared or he moved out of the way. Why? Because his time had not yet come. It was only when his time had come that he willingly gave of his humanity to those who wanted his life. Now, David, as he ran from his son Absalom, there's no question David must have had lots of things in his mind. He must have thought about the relation between father and son and how unimaginable it must be that my own son wants to take my life. And David ran and he hid, and we find him in different situations. And you can go, even go back to when Saul was pursuing him, the time he was within inches of Saul, and he just he clips off just a part of that robe because David said, "How I cannot even touch God's anointed." Yet Jesus Christ, in His humanity, willingly gives up His life. He knows as He's sitting with his disciples the night before his, his trials and his execution and those things. He's sitting with the very betrayer. He's sitting with Judas. He's having a meal. It's, it's one of the ultimate demonstrations of friendship to be at a table with someone sharing a meal. Yet he knows from the, even from before time began who the betrayer would be. The betrayer would be Judas. Judas was not a random rogue disciple. Which again, entertainment makes Judas out to be some undercover villain who just shows up on the scene. Jesus Christ knew when he chose the twelve that Judas was the one ordained before the foundation of the world to be the betrayer. And yet, Jesus Christ in his humanity allows himself to be sold for these thirty pieces of silver according to prophecy and he His human life is cut off. I read Mark 1 because when Jesus appeared, Jesus appeared as the fulfillment of a prophecy. That prophecy was the prophecy that Isaiah had proclaimed, and it is the prophecy that John the Baptist proclaimed. Isaiah 53, which is in reference to the suffering servant, points us directly to Christ, although Isaiah 53 never mentions the name Jesus Christ at all. We are told in chapter 52 and 53 that Jesus Christ, this suffering servant, his visage, his body would be marred beyond recognition. He would be so veiled in his passion. Now again, we always lean to his visage being marred as the beating that he took. But I also want you to understand that him being marred was also, there would be people who would not recognize him for who he was. There will be people who will look at a cross and will feel absolutely nothing. There are people who will think about Jesus on the cross and they'll say, I think absolutely nothing. He means nothing to me. But to every believer today, he means everything to you. He ought to be your sole reason for existence today. is because of what Christ has done for me. And yet, Jesus Christ, it says, even about David knew that there was this warning. Jesus Christ appearing was a warning. It was not a surprise. There was no excuse for any unbelieving Jews. And again, don't indict the Jews without indicting Gentiles as well. Because we know that there would be no reason not to believe that this was the promised Messiah. Yet, they sought His life. And by the way, they didn't just seek His death. They sought a violent death. They sought a death that was worse than any... There are no, there's no other worse way to die than on a Roman cross. To this day, there is no execution that is so merciless than dying on a cross. And yet, this violent death leads them to believe and they accomplished it, or they believe they accomplished it. He says, those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Now David, of course, Could have been making reference to his own son, Absalom. He could have been making reference to Saul because of the evil and the wicked they did to him. But you know, Jesus Christ and his humanity was saying the same thing. These unbelieving Jews, these unbelieving Gentiles who are seeking my life, they're trying to destroy it. They will go into the lower parts of the earth. They're going to have an early grave. Verse 10, he continues to talk about those that sought his life to take it. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. Study what happened to the Jews even after the crucifixion of Christ. Study what happened in, as far as their rejection, their persecution, and their death of the Messiah. It is fully and clearly, and David expresses it often, about what was going to happen. David's just mentioning briefly as a way of prophecy of what's going to happen in terms of when Jesus comes and they attempt to take his life. They shall fall by the sword. Do you realize the Roman government was used as a tool of judgment towards the Jews? It is not by happenstance or circumstance or by chance that the Romans ruled over the Jews. It was a direct result of their unbelief in Jesus Christ the Messiah. David is prophetically speaking not only about those that would touch him as the God's anointed, but he was also speaking as a type of Christ. We often see in Scripture, we see the flaming sword, and we associate the sword with the wrath and vengeance of God. Nobody who took the Lord's life on that day escaped God's wrath, nor did they escape His vengeance. Even though the Romans were being used as the sword... It was Almighty God who was wielding the sword. He was the one who was allowing His Son to be struck down. Think about how God, even with using wicked nations against His own people, He did it against the Jews in order to show them who He was. This reference here that although the Romans were used to wield this sword... Notice it gives us a promise, they shall be a portion for foxes. It's very interesting, he says you're gonna fall by the sword and there'll be a portion or there'll be the meat for the foxes. There's a reference made to Pilate about being a fox in scripture. The fox itself, if you study a fox in, in, in the wild, is a very cunning and he's a very crafty animal. That's what this reference is being made to. The Jews were very, very crafty. They were very, very deceptive. They were malicious. Think about what they tried to do to Jesus. They attempted to falsely accuse him. They thought of all the different ways they could. How can we get this man? How can we get him off the picture? How can we kill him? They deceived, they lied, they cheated. All of this in order to destroy the life of Christ. Even when Judas came back and showed some signs of remorse, and that's all he showed was a little bit of remorse, not repentance. There's no reason to believe that Judas came to saving faith any more than there's reason to believe that the Pharaoh who was holding the Jews in Egypt, came to saving faith. These were individuals that were being used for the glory and the honor of God. Even though in our human minds we have a hard time understanding, it doesn't seem quite fair. But yet these were tools in God's hands. As wicked as the Roman government was, the Roman government was being used directly by God himself to pour out judgment upon the Jews and all that sought the life of Christ. Yet all of it was to accomplish this everlasting covenant of bringing sinners to salvation you couldn't script that <laughs> you couldn't write you couldn't write a better story and yet it's not a mere story all of the predictions of scripture have or will be fulfilled but notice verse 11 but the king shall rejoice in god of course we know that david ultimately rejoiced in god but we also know the reference to the king Jesus Christ as the King of Kings. He is the King Messiah. Ultimately, through all of this, even though his life, earthly speaking, would be taken, he would be exalted. There was never a moment in time, even in those three days, when Jesus Christ's body was in the grave, that he was not going to be exalted. On day one, there was a guarantee that there was going to be a resurrection. On day two, there was a guarantee there was going to be a resurrection. On day three, there was a guarantee there was going to be a resurrection. Which leads us to wonder why were so many unbelieving that he didn't actually raise from the grave. Now we get the story of Jesus walking along with two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And he's having conversation with them and They're asking Jesus, not knowing who he is, haven't you heard what happened today? Aren't you aware of what's going on? And it beautifully says that Jesus starts with Moses and the prophets and begins to declare Jesus to them. All through the Old Testament, you see Jesus being exalted. But he would be exalted in an even greater way. He would be raised up And one day he would go right back to the right hand of his father, the very same hand in which upheld him, the very same hand in which he enjoyed fellowship with. The glory of Jesus Christ as the Messiah would appear and he would rejoice in God for all of this. By his rejoicing and by David's rejoicing, there were others who came to God because of his confession. Notice what it says, everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Can I just stop a minute and just point you to that last phrase of Psalm 63? The mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Folks, the bombarding of lies regarding Christ, the bombardment we see of lies in general, according to the things about God, one day every one of those mouths will be stopped. Not some of them, not portions of them. There will come a day when there will absolutely be none speaking lies. You know, lies have become such a commonplace in our society that we don't even think twice about them. Lies in the church now becomes commonplace. We stand up and we say something knowing that what we're saying in some places, that's not right. But those who intentionally desire to kill and to squash and to remove Jesus Christ, folks, you should not be surprised at the attack that our nation is under right now. If you're surprised, you, you have not read what Jesus really meant when he said that the world is going to hate you and the only reason they're going to hate you is because of me. They don't hate you because you're a believer. They hate Christ. Don't give yourself that much credit. You're not the one they hate. They hate Christ. How do we know that? Because Jesus said, the world's going to hate you because of me. Not because of you. You're not the problem. Christ is the problem, and we know He's not a problem. But folks, if you think everything that happens is not intentional. There's an intentional desire and aim to take Christ out. Even though He's already gone to the cross, He's already rose from the grave, He's already seated at the right hand of the Father, the world that's lost and away from Christ wants absolutely nothing to do with Him. But you understand that you cannot stomp out Christ. You can close every church. You can ban people from speaking in his name. You will not stop Christ and his glory, and you will not break the everlasting covenant that was made before the foundation of the world. Don't live in this world as if you're somehow losing. Don't live in this world as somehow, wow, the world's getting the upper hand on us. The world has nothing on you. The world has nothing to declare over to you. Even if they threaten you with your life, you have the promise of a resurrection. If you're martyred or you're, you're persecuted for your faith, think nothing of it is what Jesus would say. There are brothers and sisters all around this world, who've been, many have been gone for years, and some who've been martyred this very day. While we sit here in our comfortable churches thinking we're doing God a favor, there are people who are suffering real persecution. We have not yet seen it here. You say, are you not watching the news? I'm watching the news. You're unaware of how bad it's going to get. And there will be a mighty purge and there will be people that will be left standing who truly believed in Christ and there will be others that will say, I never wanted anything to do with Him. It was just something I wanted the benefits of Christianity for. And our churches are filled with people who just want the benefits of Christianity, but when the real persecution comes, will flee like rats on a sinking ship. And they will not remain because they never knew Him. Jesus declares that there will be many who profess and actually did miracles in My name. And He'll say to them, I never knew you. Why is this so important? It is so important to realize and to know who Christ really is. Everyone that sweareth by Him shall, shall glory. To swear by the Lord or by the name of the Lord, that's the meaning of the Scripture. What it means to swear by the Lord is to confess, to acknowledge, to submit, and to trust in the Lord. This is not just some mere, I take a vow to be true to God. No, this is to absolutely confess Him, to acknowledge Him to be who He claims to be, to submit to Him, to trust in the Lord. I love what Isaiah... Isaiah 45 verses 23 and 24 says this, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord have I righteousness and strength, even to him shall men come and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. Even Isaiah was writing knowing that this is coming where there are going to be those who swear by him and those who are ashamed of him. Listen, Resurrection Sunday is not about just, and again, I don't, I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be irreverent and being smart, Alec, this morning. I, but we have got to get to the place where we understand that this is not just some day that we, we, we consider and dress ourselves a little bit greater, we put our Sunday best on, whatever the case is, For believers, this is like every other Sunday. This is like every other day who truly know what it is to know Christ. Again, I think we should take every opportunity to proclaim Christ. I think if there's someone seated here today who has yet to repent and believe the gospel, I hope that Resurrection Sunday may be played a part in why you're here, why you're listening more intently, but I also understand that every single time we open the Word of God, we're opening the Word of God with knowledge. And we're opening it, saying, this is not just some nebulous God we know nothing about. He's been my help. I have trusted in the shadow of his wings over and over and over again. And knowing that no matter what this world, no matter what happens in this world, if Christ's name gets banned from every single corner of this earth, you are not without hope and you're not helpless. Folks, we have got to stop living like we are are on the wrong side of this. And cowering in fear, we cannot cower in fear when our name and the Lord's name is attacked. Listen, I'm talking about spiritual attack now. I'm talking about your faith being under fire. I'm talking about when it actually comes to your house and they say you will not proclaim the name of Christ anymore. That has not happened yet. But it is coming. It may not be in our lifetime. It may be our kids. It may be our grandkids. But they're going to face a time when it it won't just be you can't gather. It'll actually be you can only gather. And when you gather, you cannot speak the name of Christ. I'm not a prophet. I just read the scripture and I know what the Bible says. The world's going to hate the world. They're going to hate you because of Christ. There is no salvation from sin. There is no salvation from Satan. There's no salvation from the world and from death and damnation, but in Christ Jesus alone. Your hope in the resurrection this morning is the fact that God has always and will always keep his covenant. There is not, it is not going to be amended. I don't care how many translations of the Bible you can try to change it and change the wording. You can, you can take the Bibles that are now taking gender out. Do everything you want. Do everything you want to do. You are not going to stop or change the covenant of God and you're not going to change the promises and the prophecies he's already said. Jesus Christ himself acknowledged it was in the shadow of my Father's wings I found my help. As believers today, it is in the shadow of his wings we find our help. The king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. Our Lord's resurrection from the, from his, from the death. His ascension, His exaltation to heaven was His triumph over every single enemy. What we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday is the triumph over every enemy. Every enemy of the cross, every lie. We celebrate His triumph. That's a matter of rejoicing. I rejoice in God today because He has already put to death everything that has a hold on me. That sin that should condemn you and damn you doesn't because of His righteousness. That world that could threaten you to take your earthly life, they're threatening you with heaven. They're threatening you with being with Christ. That's what they're threatening you with. That's really what it boils down to. You take my life, I believe with what Paul said, absent from the body present with the Lord. Paul didn't just say that to put that on your wall. He actually believed that. So you take my earthly life with the pain and sorrow and suffering that we endure and my, my punishment is Christ. That's a lot of hope today, isn't it? <laughs> There's nothing the world can do to you that's going to take away Christ's hold on you if you're one of His. Nothing shall separate me. Nothing shall separate me from God. I am safely in His hand. And yet, this is a matter of rejoicing not for everyone. There are people who will leave churches today who will have no better idea of who Christ is than when they arrived. Today, my prayer is that when you leave, you have a greater sense and a greater understanding, a greater knowledge and a greater love and adoration for your Savior than you did when you arrived. And I pray every time we gather together, that's how we leave. We leave here saying, God is even better than I thought. Christ is even more precious than I thought. Not just this mere, hey, it was good to be in church today. It is good to be in church. It's good to see people here. but the one I want to see more than any is I want to see Christ. And if Christ ceases to be the center of everything we do, we we lose the right to even say we're a church. People don't need gimmicks and giveaways today, folks. That's not what they need. Again, I'm trying trying to bite my tongue. (laughs) That's not what we need. We need Christ. You need Christ. If you're unconverted today, I want you to run to Christ as fast as you can get there. Don't think it. Just be obedient to His call. If Christ is calling to you, flee to Him as fast as you can and throw yourself upon Christ and say, I repent of my sins and I believe on you alone as my sole source of righteousness this psalm means so much to believers the psalm itself shows us not only the teaching of what david shows us through the power of the spirit but it shows us the views of what christ and it leaves an impression on our mind of who christ is there's one other passage i want to show you in psalm 17 and this phrase is used about the shadow of thy wings again and it's, it's a beautiful passage Psalm 17, another prayer of David. He says, Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shall find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me. O God, incline thy ear unto me, and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous, loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee, from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me where? Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. There is no greater presence and place of protection for the soul than the shadow of his wings. And I'm thankful, (laughs) I am thankful to know that he has been my help and has continued to be my help. And that I am found in that that very shadow. And I trust you can say the same thing this morning. Let's stand together, if you would. And as we stand to be dismissed this morning and pray, I'd ask for you just privately and quietly where you're standing. If you want to remain seated, you can do so as well, whatever. I want you just to, in time of private prayer before we leave here, I want you just to speak to the Lord. I I don't know. I don't know what it is. It may be a burden today for someone else. It may be a burden for your own soul. It may be a burden for, for somebody else. I would just ask you in private prayer, just pray as the Holy Spirit leads you today. And then we'll be dismissed and we'll be on our way. And I hope today that we've seen Christ and we've seen Him in His glory. Father, as we bring this time, this gathering to a close, Lord, we are certainly grateful. We're thankful to know that the promises that have been made before the foundation of the world will never be broken. And Lord, what a wonderful picture of the shadow of thy wings. Father, to know your presence is to know this place, is to know what it is to be in that shadow. Father, we realize that we can do nothing apart from you, but we also know with Christ nothing is impossible. Father, I know there are people today here that are burdened for loved ones, and we pray, Lord, and we beseech you today that according to your perfect will, that you would open the eyes of those who still need to see their sin, they need to see their depravity, show them the cross, show them the resurrection today in a way that they've never seen before, that they might come to understand that their sin and their need of a Savior, that nothing but Christ's righteousness is acceptable before a holy God. And Father, oh, how we would rejoice if we were to see even just a single soul come to this saving knowledge and this understanding Father, we pray that your word would go forth from this place with power. That, Lord, we would leave here today knowing that we've not just heard words from a book, but we've heard life-giving, life-saving words. Lord, may we take our eyes off of the circumstances of this life and turn our eyes back to Christ and the promises. Lord, when the world continues to hate and despise us, may we remember the words of Christ himself that they hate you because they hate me. Father, we pray for a mighty awakening in this country. Lord, we know that you can can open the eyes of as many as you see fit. But Lord, may we be steadfast and sure and bold in the day of affliction. Father, go with us now today. And Lord, may we meditate upon these truths. Lord, we pray that all the prayers that are going up from this place today, all the private prayer that's going up would be answered according to your perfect will and according to your perfect knowledge. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I ask these things. Amen. Lord bless you. Appreciate you being here today. I hope you'll enjoy the day, whatever you have planned. We'll look forward to seeing you Wednesday. If you're able to join us, we're going to continue our study in the book of Matthew. Thank you so much.